Welcome to Season 2 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter good place podcast. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Ayla. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 10 of The Good Place. So where we left off, the four humans had just made a crazy plan to march into the bad place and go to the judges' quarters. So when this episode opens, they're on the train to the bad place, and while they're on their way there, they're making their plan, and they've decided they have to take on the persona of demons and pretend that they work there. They're hoping to just avoid having to interact with anybody, but if they happen to get stopped, they want to have a alibi for the reason that they're there. And everybody agrees that this is the perfect plan, except for Chidi, who does not want to lie, not even to demons. But even though Chidi doesn't really like the plan, he doesn't have a better idea. So they arrive at the bad place, and they get out, and Michael leaves them in this museum where he's hoping they won't run into anybody, while he goes to secure them the pins that they need to get through the portal. Except it's not working. So the demons threw a party in the room that the four humans happened to be in, and Michael's plan to get the pins did not work. So basically all of this carefully plotted thing that they've got going on is falling apart around them, and now Chidi is put in this position in particular where he has to pretend to be a master torturer, and he has to give advice on how to torture somebody to these other demons that are kind of annoying and he he hates doing it and they barely escape a bunch of crazy stuff happened and they're on their way to the judge's quarters So the first thing that we want to talk about from today's episode is an early moment between Michael and Eleanor. It's a small thing, but it really stood out to us as something important about what's happening in that relationship. Eleanor told Michael to be careful, and it seems like just a normal thing to say in this situation, but it it really mattered to Michael, and it kind of mattered to Eleanor, too. Why do you think that is? What does telling somebody else to be careful mean? Well, it implies that you're worried about them and that you care. And when Michael asks her, and he's getting kind of teary-eyed, he's like, oh, you want me to be careful? She very quickly is like, yeah, because you're my ticket out of here. I need you to be safe or I can't be safe. But deep down inside, we could tell that she really was worried about Michael, and Michael could tell too. And he was very touched by this idea that somebody else is thinking about him, that somebody else is concerned about him. And I think that that's really important when we think about our own human relationships. Like Just knowing that someone else is concerned about us is a really important part of being part of a human connection. And it's probably because nobody has really ever cared about Michael. He w- he lived in a place full of demons who were always just mean to him, and they only used him for the things that he could do. I think that's a really good point, that knowing that you could be thinking about someone just because, just because they matter to you, is... It makes you more responsible for the rest of the world because you know that it's not just you that's going to be impacted. And it also made me think about, I I don't have one of these, but I saw this ad on Facebook for a friendship lamp so that if you were far away from somebody, you could get this lamp where if you touched it, it would light up in the other person's house. And then if they touched it, it would light up in your house so that you could kind of just have this little a touchstone to show, oh, I'm thinking about you right now. Oh, I'm thinking about you right now. And it's kind of a literal way to show that connection in thought. And I think that we want to feel like other people are thinking about us. We want to know that we matter to other people in the world. 
that sounds like a really cool thing and I kind of want it now. Well, yeah. I mean, we've been distant from most of our friends for months now because of the virus. And I don't, how are you making sure that your friends know that you're thinking about them? How are they making sure that you know they're thinking about you? What's going on to keep those friendships and connections going? Well, I give them like a million phone calls a day and a million texts a day. So I'm pretty sure they know. Yeah, those those little moments of being able to stay connected with each other have gotten even more important when we can't physically be together. And so I do think that these signs of our friendship and our friendship taking the form of, hey, you're on my mind right now, are, are really important right now when so many people can't get together. The next thing we want to talk about is moral particularism. So Chidi does not want to lie. Even before they get there, he's saying, I can't do it. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. This is against my principles. It is against the rules that I follow about what it means to be a moral person. In particular, he says... It's not permissible. So we know that Chidi lives his life by a set of rules that he considers solid. They, they always exist. They are always in place. And he doesn't think he can change them to fit a different situation. They're principles. And he says to Eleanor that principles aren't principles when you choose when you follow them. So what do you think about that, Ayla? I mean, that makes some sense if it's not really a rule, if I can just decide, eh, I don't really feel like doing that rule right now. What do you think? I think that rules, that that rule may have been important at that time, but times change because um, this Kant guy, he made that rule a long time ago. That's a good point, that just because a rule was written a long time ago doesn't mean we have to keep following it exactly as it was written. I will say, though, that even in Kant's time, we had to make tough decisions that were not always carefully spelled out, right? You could write the rules for the perfect situation, but the perfect situation is rarely what you're facing. Usually, you've got to deal with something messy. And also, lying is kind of the decision that he needs to save the all of his friends, because if he doesn't lie, then all of them are going to get in trouble, and they're going to be tortured for all eternity. Yeah, the stakes are really high. I mean, lying protects his friends and keeps them safe, and not lying actually helps the demons do something even worse. And so in this case, the lie has a protective factor. And that's when Eleanor steps in and tells him that his way of looking at morality is not the only way to look at it, that Kant was not the only one who made rules, and that the principle of moral particularism says that there is no one set of rules that can be followed all the time, that our job as moral beings is to look at the particular context that we're in right now and choose the rules that best fit that situation, which means we can't just read one set of rules and know them for life. We have to constantly be working it out. It's like a puzzle that changes every single time we change situations. And this brings us to our question of the day. Can something be the right choice in one situation and the wrong one in a different situation? Pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, and then come back.
All right. Welcome back. So basically what we're trying to answer today is, is moral particularism okay? Is it okay to change the rules for how you behave ethically depending on the situation that you're in? What do you think, Ayla? So I think that you can change the rules sometimes as long as you change them responsibly. I mean, it has to be based on need and you have to know what need is and you can't just want it because then that's a selfish decision so it's really complicated i agree with you i am a moral particularist and that doesn't mean that i think we can just make up the rules however we want whenever we want but i do think that it means that being a moral person requires constant effort it's not that we can just find the set of rules and then be like okay i've got them i've got my rules i'm gonna carry them through the rest of my life and i i know what to do anytime i run into a problem i can just turn to page six of my rule book and look it up it's not that easy we have to constantly be renegotiating okay but does that work for this situation? What are the outcomes of if I make that choice? And often, as we've seen even in The Good Place and in our own lives, there aren't choices where everyone is going to be happy, where everything goes the way that you want it to be. You have to make choices between the bad and the worst, not between the best and the worst. And so I think that being a moral particularist doesn't make it where it's easy to change the rules. Instead, it makes it gives you extra responsibility to have to constantly think about what is going to happen because of the outcome of my actions. And it's not like you can just write down in your rule book every single situation and how the rules would change that way because that's not how it works. Yeah, so instead we need like some general frameworks, right? We play a lot of board games, and so board games usually have, hey, in this weird situation, this is what you do. In this normal situation, this is what you do. Because it, a board game, there's only a finite number of outcomes, right? They have controlled all of the pieces in a way that they know exactly what could possibly happen. But we don't have that benefit. We There are infinite possibilities. And it's not even just about us, but about what other people around us do. Things are too complex for us to have one set of rules that will cover all of them. And what are some of the things that we use to decide which rules we follow? I think that's the important question. How do we decide when to change our rules or which set of rules to use? And I don't know all of the answers, but I know that definitely one of the questions is who is going to get harmed and how much harm will it cause? Or who is going to get help and how much help will it cause? So kind of that um, utilitarian framework of harm and risk, that's part of the equation. So you can ask some of your friends, maybe some friends that you really look up to and some friends that can help you. So kind of what you're saying is that the other thing we need to take into consideration is that the rules don't have to be chosen just by us, that we can negotiate them with other people that we trust. I agree with you, but in that case, I think part of our being a moral person is kind of choosing which people we use to fill that role because it really matters who we turn to for advice. And those could be people we know in real life. It could be the books that we read for advice, the movies we turn to for advice. So really kind of being careful about what we use to guide us. And we hope that this podcast might be something that you'll turn to for advice. And the last thing we want to talk about is Michael's selfless act. So 
at the very end, it turns out that we don't have enough pins for everyone to get through the portal. And then Michael says, with a trail of demons following them, he says that he figured out the answer to the trolley problem. So if you remember, the trolley problem is the idea of you have to flip a switch to decide if you're going to kill one person on the tracks or five person on the tracks. But if you flip the switch to go to one, then you've made the action that kills the person. And Michael says, I figured it out. You sacrifice yourself. And as he says that, he takes his own pin off and puts it on Eleanor and pushes her through the portal. So he gave himself over to the demons that were chasing him. So Sean catches Michael and Eleanor's screaming, no, 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 wait as he pushes her through and saves her but not himself and that is where this episode ends so we're gonna have to see what happens to michael and see if eleanor can handle things when she gets to the other side without him and this really disproved that eleanor has learned so much about caring about other people because she didn't want michael to sacrifice himself So that is where we are going to pick up in our next episode. We do want to tell you that our next episode is going to be two weeks from now instead of one week. We're taking a little fall break. So we will see you again in two weeks to talk about season two, episode 11. I hope you'll join us then. (laughs) 